Well, good morning, church. Wow, it is so good to be here with you at Bethlehem Assemblies of God and to see firsthand what God is doing on Long Island, New York. Man, it's good to be here. Uh, this place is on fire. Pastor Steve, what a church. Man, to worship in the house with, uh, with all of you this morning, blessed my soul. The presence of God is here, amen? He's got a word for us today. I hope you're ready for it. Uh, but Pastor Steve, I just want to honor you. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here and to share with your people. Uh, just so appreciate your leadership and your friendship and your partnership in reaching more people for Jesus. You have an amazing pastor, don't you? Come on. Pastor Steve. What a great weekend we've had together, eating some good cannolis, some Colombian food. Man, I'm going home blessed, going home blessed. But I love your pastor's heart for multiplication and to reach more people for Jesus. That's what it's all about, right? And to see what's happening here, but not just here. Coming up in Rosedale, another campus, Pastor Franklin, we're excited about what God is going to do there. And uh, we've got to multiply the church. This was God's plan to redeem the world, is to multiply the family of God, the church, to reach more people. We need more churches. And uh, we're part of a great fellowship in the Assemblies of God, 13,000 actually, Pastor Steve, 13,000 churches in America, uh, 360,000 around the world, 70 million people are a part of the Assemblies of God. In fact, 95% of this fellowship is outside of this country. So what we do here impacts the entire world. And I believe God is calling you not just to reach the people right here in Valley Stream and Lynbrook and the area, but uh, but beyond that to this whole metro region. And your reach is going to go around the country. And so we're really praying and believing that this move of God here at Bethlehem just impacts the, the whole world. Aren't you glad to be a part of a church that's on fire and on the move? Come on, that's a special thing. Don't take that for granted ever. God's doing something very unique here in your church, and I believe that you're just getting started. I mean, I know the history, but you're just getting started, Bethlehem, and and, uh, God has so much more in store for this church, for your family, and for your life. Do you believe that? There's more in store. We serve a God of more, don't we? That's what I want to talk to you about today, actually, and we're going to be in Joshua chapter 10. I want to talk about this story. You may be familiar with it, but uh, I love what happens here in Joshua chapter 10. And uh, I'm going to read verses 12 through 14, and then I'll fill in the blanks in just a little bit on the rest of the story. But here's what it says, Joshua 10, 12 through 14. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said, this is Joshua now, in the sight of Israel, he prays this prayer. He says, son, stand still. It's a bold prayer, right? Son, stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ayalon. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jashar? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. Hear this, for the Lord fought for Israel. I want to talk to you today about what do you do when you're in the fight of your life? What do you do when you're in the fight of your life? We're going to look at a story where Israel was in a fight. 
Many of us in this room, uh, we learn how to kind of smile on Sundays and walk in and get our coffee and shake hands. But the truth is, many of us here today, we are in the fight of our lives. You look at your marriage. The truth is, in your marriage right now today, you're in the fight of your life. But when you look at maybe a son or a daughter that you're praying would come back to the Lord, you get down on your knees every night and you pray God's blessing and protection over them that they would come back. And you know when it comes to the soul of your son and your daughter, you're in the fight of your life. When we look at the church in America, the church in New York, when we look at Rosedale and Lynbrook and Valley Stream and this whole island that we're on, the church and the people in the communities around us, we are in the fight of our lives for the soul of, the, of this nation, for the soul of the city, for the soul of our neighbors. We're in the fight of our lives. There's a lot on the line. Maybe you're in the fight of your life when it comes to your health and your body. You got a diagnosis, you got a, a situation, and you know today, behind the smile and the friendliness, you're in the fight of your life. And one way or another, we need to open our eyes, church, to the fact that we're in a fight. We're in a fight, and I want to talk to you today about what do you do? What do you do when you're in the fight of your life? So, Father in heaven, we pause now at the reading of your word, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would give us a sense today, maybe remind us once again of what's really on the line when we walk into your presence. We're not just representing ourselves, we're representing our family, our friends, our community. We're representing your sovereign plan to redeem mankind. Let us not get comfortable, let us not relax or be passive. Remind us what's at stake. Remind us that we're in a fight. And right now today, Lord, I pray that you would speak into those situations, speak into that pain, speak into this fight, this battle that we're in, and open our eyes to the truth of your word and the power of your spirit to change things. We do not want business as usual today. We're in your presence. We're in your presence. Show up and change everything for somebody here today. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, now we can get started. Before we go too much further, I want to introduce you to my family. All right. Uh, They're not with me today. They're back in Missouri, but I brought a picture. Isn't that a nice picture? That's my wife, Kara, my beautiful wife. We've been married 19 years. Can you believe it? Got married when we were 11. That's what we do in Missouri. Young-looking couple right there. Uh, Look young, feel old. At least I do. Uh, But uh, by the way, we're just, you know, walking by this little uh, bridge and body of water, and someone happened to snap that picture, you know? You mamas know that's not true. (laughs) That was months of planning, hours of weeping and gnashing of teeth, thousands of clicks of the camera to get that one shot where we all looked the same way and we looked happy. But nevertheless, that's my family. My son Cannon on the right is 14 now. Uh, My son Caleb there in the middle is 12. And my little son uh, Cooper is nine years old now. That picture's a little bit dated, but but there you go. That's the best one we got. So, uh, man, it's just such a joy to be a father. And to watch my sons develop and grow. We're at such a fun stage with our boys right now. You know, they can bathe themselves. Praise Jesus. (laughs) They can clothe themselves for the most part. Uh, And now the new one is really good. It's a whole new day. They can stay home by themselves for a couple hours at a time. Freedom has entered our home. 
Oh, man, we go to the grocery store. It feels like a vacation, you know, just getting away. My wife and I to the Walmart feels good. But, uh, yeah, there is such a, such a fun season. And to watch their personalities, each of them grow and develop. But more than that, to watch God begin to speak to them begin to mold and shape their hearts to watch their faith become their own and grow is one of the great joys of my life right now. And all my boys love Jesus with all their hearts. Now, I know it's, it's early. I know what's coming, right? But let me just tell you what success is to me, okay? Success is not how many places do I get to speak or how much money is in the bank or how much success can I achieve or how many places can we go. Success is those three boys leave my house, and they will leave my house one day, but they leave my house loving Jesus and loving the church. That is success, that's my definition of success. And it's so amazing to watch their faith grow and blossom. And recently, I had like the highlight of my life was baptizing my little nine-year-old son in water a few months ago. And this was just a, such a powerful moment. We are in the baptismal, and there's a whole line of people waiting to get in and get baptized, but I'm taking my turn. I'm in the water. I'm going to take my, my time here, and I just began to speak over his life. I began to prophesy over him in that baptismal tank and, and just talk about the, the power of Jesus. And I was watching his little, his little nine-year-old eyes begin to fill with water, and tears begin to run down his cheeks. And my first thought was, I think I baptized my first two sons too early because they didn't get like this at all, you know, but this one's getting it. This one's getting it. And I've, I've watched before my very eyes. He understand his identity in Christ at nine in that baptismal. And so I dunked him down in the water and here's the picture of what happens next. Look at that. I got Lion King moment. That's me holding him up and <laughs> proud dad. It was spontaneous and someone snapped that picture. And now I stare at that picture on my phone. Friends, that is what victory looks like, all right? If you look it up in the dictionary, that's the picture that you ought to see. That's what victory looks like. And as a father, I know what's coming in life. I know the twists and the turns. I know the temptations of the enemy. I know the pain and the heartbreak and the disappointments. I know all the things over the years that he will have to deal with and work through. I know the fights that are still to come. So I pray over this picture, and I say, oh, my God, would you please protect my son? Would you please keep him walking the straight and narrow, that he wouldn't go to the left or to the right, that he would continue to walk with, with you, and that he would lift his hands in victory no matter what's going on in his life. Lord, protect his little life. Keep him from the attacks of the enemy. I just pray over him. Because we all know in this room what's coming. As an adult, we fight battles. We deal with temptations. People hurt us. They disappoint us. Things don't go like we planned. And I just want him to live like that every single day, that that would mark his life. Then I look at that picture a little bit longer, and I start to get convicted in my own life. I say, God, I don't know if I live with that kind of victory. As a 41-year-old professional Christian Busy, 
beat up a little bit by the winds and the waves of life over the years, getting a little calloused by this or that, maybe losing hope in people or institutions. We just know what life can do. I think some of us get a little farther down the road in our walk with Jesus, and we're just trying to hold on and survive, not really trying to thrive. We're just trying to make it to the end. We see some, like, you know, frustrated, upset, you know, joyless Christians just walking around just trying to make it another day. Just trying to hold on to the end. Just trying to cross that finish line one day to glory, you know. But they're mean looking, you know, and they're not very happy feeling. And you're wondering, where's the joy of their salvation? It can be hard to live out that kind of victory later in life. I begin to get convicted. God, I don't know if I have that kind of victory. But I want it, God. I want that posture to mark my life no matter what's going on. In good times and in bad times, I want that kind of victory in my marriage, in my home, with my kids, in my ministry, in all of my relationships. I want victory. Sometimes it can be hard to live out the victory of Jesus, the victory that he created us for when we deal with the battles and the fights of life. So how do we do that? I think it has a lot to do with what we actually believe to be true and how we actually pray. What do we believe and how do we pray? That was the key to victory for Joshua and the Israelites in this story. Now let me break it down and fill in some blanks. As we go through the early chapters of Joshua, chapter one, and you begin to read the story of God's people. Remember they had come out of 400 years of captivity in Egypt, that's good. But out of the frying pan and into the fire, I mean, they're walking around in the desert for 40 years. That's bad. Now as we open up, Joshua, new leader, Moses is dead. Joshua emerges, and he has the people on the banks of the Jordan River. So close to their promise, they could taste it. But it still seems so far away. I mean, the the river's at flood stage. They have no way to defeat the enemies on the other side. It's like we're so close, but I don't think it's ever going to happen because they'd heard about the promises, but it's been 440 years, you know, and you're wondering, I don't know if the promises are yes and amen. I don't know if they're maybe or maybe not. It just doesn't seem like God's going to come through. This fight we've been in has been lasting a, a long time, but he parts the Jordan River, and these people walk into the promised land. That's how Joshua opens up. But now they've got all of these enemies on the other side they've got to deal with. The first up is Jericho. Remember Jericho, the story of Jericho? Man, they, they do battle in an unconventional way. I mean, not how I would have drawn it up to march around a city for about a week and then shout on the last day and hope that worked. But that was God's instruction. So they did it. The walls came down and they captured the city. Next up was a city called Ai. They go in there and they play dead. Turns out they, that's a good plan, and they capture the city. Now, the word gets out among these other cities and nations that God is with these Israelites, and they start freaking out because these people are about to take over the whole world. So Gibeon is next up. And Gibeon, their strategy is, and they're a big nation, okay? They're a mighty people. Their strategy was we've got to trick Israel because God is with them, and they're about to take us captive, we got to trick them. So they tricked Israel into making a deal with them. Wasn't God's plan. In fact, it complicated the whole situation. How many times have you ever kind of varied from the plan of God and it brought some complication into your life? I've been there too. We've all done that, right? Exactly what happened to Israel. They varied from God's plan 
complicated things. So now, not only can they not capture and take over Gibeon, they've got to actually protect them. That's a bad deal. These other Amorite kings look at the situation and go, they took down Jericho, they took down Ai, now they've, they've made a treaty with Gibeon. Gibeon's the mightiest of the nations, so what are we going to do? So the Amorite kings decide to come together and unite as one. Five kingdoms come together against Israel and Gibeon. Those are not good odds, five against two. Okay, but that's the situation. You got to remember, Israel is not a, a nation of warriors. They're a nation of wanderers. They've been wandering around. They don't have all of the equipment for battle. They don't have well-trained and defined armies. All they've been doing is try to just stay alive by obeying God. Their total survival was obedience to God. They couldn't go toe-to-toe with anybody, right? So it's, it's now five against two, and those are not good odds. But here's what God says. God told Joshua, well, I'm going to be with you. Isn't that the greatest promise that we have in Scripture? He doesn't promise prosperity. He doesn't promise material gain. He doesn't promise success. He doesn't promise to immediately deliver you from whatever painful situation that you're in. He promises his presence through it. God says, I will be with you. I will fight for you. And I will give them over to your hands. So God begins to fight for his people. He rains down these hailstones. Go read the story in chapter 10. He begins to rain down these hailstones on the Amorite kings and their kingdoms and their armies. And Israel, the people of God, start to pursue. They they know that they're on their heels now, they're on the run, and they pursue them. And what's amazing is they pursue them through the night, and that's when Joshua prays this bold prayer for the sun to stand still. I mean, that is an audacious prayer. The sun stands still? And when we read this story, here's the deal. you got to catch this. When we read this story, we typically think sun stands still means more daylight. We need more daylight. The sun's going to stand still and we're going to have more daylight. But that's not what Joshua was actually praying for. He was actually praying for more darkness. If you understand the geography of Israel and what the text is telling us, he's coming from the east, Gibeon, and he's pursuing towards the valley of Ajalon. And so he says, son, stand still back over here in Gibeon. Don't rise up. We need the protection of darkness. We need the advantage of darkness so we can pursue our enemy all the way. If the light comes up, it's going to exposed, they have more people than we do, and we'll be in trouble. Joshua was asking for more darkness, not more daylight. And when you understand that, it changes the story altogether. They marched all night, they fought hard, and they could not let the enemy regroup. It was now or never, and they needed a miracle. When you think about the fight that you're in right now, whatever part of your life you feel the battle is raging the strongest. And you think about what victory might look like for you. I want us to capture a few things from this story that I think are going to help. I'm going to give you three things from this passage, from this story, that I think will help us fight the battle that we're in today. And the first one is this. When you're in the fight of your life, you have to admit the odds are probably against you. That's a discouraging first point, I'll confess. you got to admit the odds are probably against you. It's okay 
to just confess the reality of what is. The odds are probably against you, and the giant that you're facing is bigger than you. Let's not just put on a brave face and pretend it's, it's something that it's not. Let's call it for what it is. This is bigger than us. The, the odds are against us in this situation. You just got to gotta confess it. The older I get, the more aware I am of my own limitations. I don't know how that's been with you, but the most scary thing to me is to think that anything is dependent on me alone. <laughs> that I have to do anything in my own strength scares me to death because I know my limitations. I know all of my own weaknesses. In fact, I've never felt qualified to do any of the things that God has asked me to do. I've always felt the challenges were bigger than me. In fact, when you're in the fight of your life, one of the, the worst things you can do is to underestimate your opponent and overestimate your ability. Joshua knew he was outmatched on paper, that the odds were against him. It's why he marched and attacked at night, and it's why he asked God for more darkness instead of waiting for day. There's a humility and a dependence on God that Joshua was displaying as he was in this battle. And we need that same humility and dependence on God to fight the battle that we're in. Let me just go ahead and say out loud what you've probably felt or may be feeling right now. Let's just say it out loud. Confession is good for the soul. Let's say it out loud. Okay, I'm going to just tell you, uh, no, you do not have what it takes. Sorry, you don't. You're not smart enough. You're not gifted enough. You don't have the resources you need. Other people have failed trying to do the same thing you're trying to do in the same place you're trying to do it. Success may, in fact, be unlikely. Doesn't mean victory can't be won. It just means it can't be won alone. Aren't you glad it doesn't depend totally on you? Aren't you glad that we have a God that fights with us and for us? Aren't you glad his power is made perfect in our weakness? Right now, you may be in the fight of your life. The odds may, in fact, be against you. It's okay. Confess it. Say it out loud. You may not know the next step to take today, so we might as well admit it. But here's the encouraging Point number two, okay? The odds may in fact be against us, but God is greater than our odds. Come on, somebody. Our God cares nothing about the odds. In fact, where conventional wisdom ends, the almighty God begins. Let me just tell you something about conventional wisdom, all right? Conventional wisdom says, I shouldn't be standing here today. I was the product of an unwanted pregnancy 41 years ago. There wasn't celebration. There was fear and trepidation and, oh, no, what am I going to do now? The enemy wanted to take me out before I was even born because he wanted that mistake somebody made to be the end of me. But aren't you glad mistakes can be redeemed? The enemy wanted me to never be in this position. He wanted me to never even be born. 
But God placed me in the home of adoptive parents who taught me to know and love Jesus. Let me just tell you how good God is. We sang about it. Let me explain it to you. All right. How good is God that this unborn baby, what some people might say was a mistake, God, while I was in that womb, said, oh, I'm going to raise him up to be a preacher. I want him to share the gospel. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure that baby gets born, and I'm going to place this baby in the home of a Bible professor. Professor. Oh, come on. I'm going to place, I'm gonna place the, this baby in the home of a woman from L.A., lower Alabama. And let me just tell you, they don't just play. Oh, it took you a minute. They don't just play good football down there. Those women know how to pray, all right? So here's God. Here's the goodness of God. Here's the incubator that he put me in, a father who taught me to love the word of God and a mother who taught me what prayer sounds like. Not a bad combination for a future preacher. God is so good. God is so good. Conventional wisdom says, though, I should have never been a preacher because as a teenager, I was a scared, insecure little boy full of self-doubt, afraid to speak in public. Can you imagine? (laughs) Terrified to speak in public. But God had a purpose for my life. He filled me with his Holy Spirit. He transformed my mind. He shaped my heart and made me into the person he wanted me to be. Conventional wisdom says we should have never had kids. Miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage with no hope or no answers. But God did a miracle. Come on, somebody. But God. Conventional wisdom. Conventional wisdom says seas don't part and people don't walk across to the other side. Conventional wisdom says walls don't fall down when the trumpets blow. Conventional wisdom says little shepherd boys don't kill giants. Conventional wisdom says virgins don't have babies and water doesn't get turned into wine and the blind can never see again and the deaf can never hear again. Conventional wisdom says the dead can't be raised back to life, but God... Conventional wisdom says marriages can't be restored. There's no hope for your child. Your body can't be healed. Cancer can't be healed. Addicts can't be set free. But I'm here to tell you, my God has done it before. And if he did it then, he can do it again. There is hope for your child. There is hope for your illness. There is hope for your family. There is hope for your marriage. There is hope for this community. There is hope for New York. Why? Because my God made the sun stand still, and that was just the opening act. Oh, somebody ought to shout. But God, you got to believe that God is greater than the odds. And here's the third step, and this is an action step we've got to take. All right, so we got to admit the odds are against us. No harm in that. we got to believe that God is greater than our odds. What we believe is a big deal. But then the third thing is an action step. We have to put ourselves in a position that requires faith. There's a new position you have to move into, a bold prayer that must be prayed, an act of faith that must be taken. You have to step out. No uh, passive, wimpy prayers. you got to pray bold prayers and step out in faith. Joshua marched his troops all night long. He went all in on this battle. God was either going to come through or they were going to be in big trouble. Their strength was about to run out, and they were going to have to trust God and his strength to win the fight. 
And let me just tell you, trusting God is easy to say and it's hard to do. And it's scary because trusting God means you've got to give up control. Because God doesn't give us the 10-year plan. God doesn't give us the 15 steps to financial freedom or whatever. God, God doesn't always give us a perfect playbook for the rest of our lives and how everything's going to go. What God gives us is the next step. And sometimes taking a step into the unknown is very scary. But there's no place I'd rather be than in the obedient will of God. The key to victory, the key to winning the fight, I've learned, is to put myself in a position that requires faith. I've just learned that if I'm not a little scared, I'm probably not doing it right. We want to be in a position, church, in our lives, with our families, and as a community of faith, where the only explanation for what just took place is that God did a miracle. We don't want to live the kind of life where we can explain what happens. Oh, well, he married a great woman, and that's why they've achieved what they have. Well, he went to the right school, got a good education, right? Not all of us are that lucky. That church has a big team and a lot of staff, and man, they're just, yeah, they're just things seem to work out for them. We don't want to be able to explain it away. We want to live for the kind of things where the only explanation for what happened was God showed up and did a miracle. We never could have accomplished that on our own. That he gets the glory, that the world sees there is a God in heaven who's all-powerful. And the only way they see it, especially in this culture, is if we live a life of faith, where the only explanation for what just happened is that God did a miracle. I'll never forget when we stepped out from our comfortable staff position at a large church to step into the unknown of starting a new church. We leveraged our, our finances. We leveraged our reputation. We leveraged everything to go into the unknown and start something that we didn't know if it would work or not. And I remember being so scared and my wife and I having conversations. Well, how is this going to affect our kids? And we'll be able to provide for them. And what if this doesn't work? And where will we go then? And all of that. I was so scared. And there were so many if-thens. But you know what I was more scared of? I was more scared of playing it safe. I was more scared of disobeying God than I was of any failure that might come in the future. And I remember God speaking to myself and to my wife because we were so concerned about our boys and what would it mean for them. And he said, Chris, if you'll be faithful, if you'll follow me into the unknown, if you'll trust me, if you'll go into this fight with me, I'm gonna take care of your boys. I'm gonna give them a gift that's more precious than any material possession, the right schools, any of that would ever be for them. Because they're gonna watch you and Kara actually live what you preach. They're gonna watch you live a life of faith. And when your boys grow up in a home where they see what real faith looks like every day, that's the greatest gift you could ever give them. That was my heart. I want my boys to know what it is to really follow God, to not just talk it, but to live it. God came through then, and you know what? Time and again, there's been places I've had to put myself in a position that required faith, and God has always made the sun stand still in my life. Church, this is your opportunity now. There's a lot on the line. We're in the fight of our lives. We want to be a church that lives out what we 
believe, that prays bold prayers, that puts ourselves in a position that requires faith. You know, I walked the grounds here with Pastor Steve yesterday. This block, this city block, he was telling me the stories of faith that it took to get this church where it is, the property battles, the financial struggles, the seasons of doubt. You know, the property you're on represents a position that required faith for somebody. The fact that you give away $13 million to missions when you don't know how things are going to be taken care of in your own house is a position that requires faith. But let me tell you, church, we can't rest on yesterday's victories for tomorrow's battle. There's a whole new step of faith. There's a whole new bold prayer. There's a whole new city you've got to go into. There's a whole new action battle plan that God wants to lead you into. And it's going to take a generation of men and women and sons and daughters full of the Holy Spirit and not afraid to fail for the glory of God. We're in the fight of our lives. So I don't know what it looks like for you. Some of you may need to get into counseling before you know if anything can really change. Some of you may need to begin to be generous with your money before you even get the raise at work. Some of you need to begin to lead your families before you even know fully how to do that. Some of you need to say yes to Jesus before you even know what the question is. To put yourself in a position that requires faith. We're in the fight of our lives and we have a God that will fight for us. But he's asking us to take a step into the unknown, and to believe that he'll come through. I don't know what you're going through today, but God brought me here to encourage you to stay faithful. Don't give up. The victory is coming. Would you stand with me this morning? Here's the invitation. Here's what I want you to do. Because we believe we don't want business as usual church, not today or any other Sunday, I believe the Holy Spirit is stirring some of you to put into action now what you've heard. And you, you need to not go through that door. You need to come this way to the altar and seek God. And if you need a miracle today, if you need God to come through for you today, wherever you are up there, down here, would you come and find a place to pray and call out to God? Come on, don't wait. Don't hesitate. Put yourself in a position that requires faith. Call out to God. Name it. What do you need from him today? Call it out. Name it. Do you need healing? The God of healing is here. Do you need provision? Jehovah Jireh is here. Do you need a miracle in your family? Oh, come on. Jehovah Shalom is here to bring you peace and to do a restorative work. Come find a place to pray and call out to God. So, Father in heaven, here we are, totally dependent on you today, God. We're in a position that demands faith. If you don't show up, we're done for, God. So I pray that you would begin to intervene in the lives of your people. Oh, Lord, inspire courage. Build their faith. Teach them to step forward into the unknown. And right now, Lord, begin to break down the bondages, the chains of bondage. Begin to set the captives free. Lord, I rebuke the enemy in the name of Jesus that would come against the brothers and sisters that are up here. God, I pray that you would give them freedom in their minds freedom in their souls. Heal their families. Heal their marriages, I pray. Oh, God, let it be a new day here in this house. Oh, Lord, let stories and testimonies of what takes place here today be told for months and years to come for your glory. Oh, God, raise up men and women who will not be afraid to fail for your glory. Do what I pray in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's press in and seek the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's just begin to pray. 
You know what? I was, um, what I do when I don't speak is I kind of travel from different departments, different places at the church, just wanting to make sure that we're doing what we need to be doing. And I was in the cafe. You guys in the cafe? I know that you're down there. There's a lot of you down there in the overflow. And as I walked down there, I began to pray for you and believe God for the miracles that you need in your life. So if you're in the cafe today, I want to encourage you. All over the, all over the cafe today, I want you just to stand. And, and I, I actually want you to move forward. If you've got to push some ta- chairs away, but move forward in the cafe. And, and there's going to be some pastors down there. We want to pray for you as well. We want to pray God's blessing over your life. We want to pray that God does a great miracle in your life. How many of you in this room, you know that you're in the battle of your life. It may be a battle that you're fighting for somebody else. Why? Because they don't know how to fight yet. They don't know how to fight in the spirit realm yet. And you're standing, as the Bible says, in the gap for them. How many of you have a son or a daughter that you're standing in the gap right now? I believe the word for today is God touch our children. Amen? If you've got a son or you've got a daughter that's away from the Lord and you know that you need to stand with them. I want you to get out of your seat right now. I want to pray for you. We're going to pray God's presence over your life. We're going to pray God's anointing over your life. We're going to pray that God encourages you. We're going to pray that God fills you with the Holy Spirit so that you can go back to where you are and you can pray. And God's going to break those chains over that son. God's going to break those chains over your daughter. God's going to break the chains over your marriage today. Say, yes, Lord. I'm going to believe, God. You start on your knees you start with prayer and if you're here today you say you know what I'm fighting for my marriage I'm fighting for my marriage I'm not gonna let the enemy steal rob and kill my marriage but I'm gonna stand for it and you need prayer today maybe your husband's not here maybe your wife's not here today you say you know what but I'm gonna stand I want you to get out of your seat right now I want you to get out of your seat say yes Lord yes Lord I'm gonna believe God I'm gonna believe God for my marriage hallelujah Come on, raise your hands right now all over this place. Let's just begin to pray. There's there's a song that says, yes, Lord, yes and amen. You know, yes and amen. I believe in God. And so we're going to pray right now all over this place for whatever is going on in our lives. But you know what? Ultimately, it's really not about us. It's really not about our kingdom. It's really not about what's good for us. It's about his kingdom. It's about saying, God, whatever it takes, God. You know, we were singing a song a few moments ago, and the song said, God, you never let me down. You know, there's times in all of our life where we believe God let us down, but God cannot let us down. I'll tell you why, because he's sovereign. I'll tell you why, because he's wise. He knows that when you're going through a difficult time, he knows when you're going through the fire, he's doing a good work in your life. And he will finish the work that he started inside of you. How many know that God's going to finish the work that he started inside of you? So he'll never let us down. Come on, raise your hands and begin to worship the Lord with me right now. All over this place. And let's let the anointing of the Holy Spirit hit this place. And I want you to open your mouth and begin to praise the Lord and you know what God's power is going to come down and he's going to begin to touch you like he's never touched you before why because you're hungry for God you're desperate for God say God touch me right now come on say God use me right now God anoint me right now hallelujah